Hello, friends. That's weird. Doesn't echo. Oh, there, we're back. Uh, we're back. Be back. Hey. Hello, everybody. Uh, Hello. Yeah. Uh, someone in the chat, just make sure that we can hear us. Just type yes. Type in your social security number. <laughs> type yes in your social security number. Okay, someone said Fair. no. So. Fair. <laughs> I'm going to put my password in there. There we go. 102. Um, yo, so we're back. Um, so now we can begin our topic of mental health for hackers. Um, so we're joined here by a lot of people. Um, there's really awesome. A lot of people that aren't normally on the show. A lot of people with good uh, resources and experience. And so I'm really excited to have a conversation. So basically we have a couple of topics that we kind of wanted to go over and I guess we can just sort of like put some of them out there and then just sort of uh, lamp on them for a bit. So um, I guess the reason why we did this show was because there are a lot of people that we know needed to uh, sort of assess various aspects of their own well-being. And it's, it's really important. It gets really important for people who are in our situation in our positions where we do a lot of work that is very intricate and abstract and we interact with people that, you know, have uh, different degrees of uh, anonymity and just all sorts of other external factors that are not common amongst a lot of people in the general population. So it makes it really, really important for people who are uh, hackers, programmers, developers, um, to really remember that when they approach these uh, problems that they might have and kind of give themselves a bit more credit and also um, tailor things to work with their lifestyles better. So if you're somebody who works from home a lot, there's other challenges you have. If you're somebody who does stuff that's uh, you know, confidential or under a lot of NDAs, um, there's a lot of additional supports you might need for that. So yeah, I, I kind of wanted to just have everybody here who is you know, has a, a, come from a bunch of different backgrounds, a bunch of different, uh, I guess, neurodiverse backgrounds as well, to sort of just be able to discuss all these topics and, and talk about their experiences with them, as well as any sort of tools or resources they might have used or developed to uh, help them. So with that, uh, I guess we can jump right into the first one we have here, which is uh, isolation. So has anybody here ever feel isolated? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of weird too, because a lot of us, you know, spend a lot of time at different cons and, and, and seeing a lot of people, some of us travel for our jobs or blah, blah, blah. I mean, you could be around 8 billion people all of the time and still feel completely isolated because of just the shit that's going on in your head or, or yeah. you're just, you're so hyper-focused on that and it's not getting better. Um, when in fact, like you're around all these people and that might be the best time to go talk to people, but you don't want to, right? Mm -hmm. I've definitely been at cons like pre-therapy and pre-meds and stuff. Um, and just like, I decided, well, everybody hates me and I'm awful and I'm going to go up in my room and waste my entire weekend. Like that's a thing. And that's, that's your brain fucking with you. So yeah, I've had it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I work, I've worked from home. Um, like the only person in my city in, in, in the role, like a bunch of times for multiple years. And sometimes like 
you know, uh, there'll be a security meetup that's a bunch of my like real life friends. They're like, come out, come have beer. And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, maybe if I can be bothered. Then the time comes and I don't go. And I'm like, I'll go next month. And then I realized like I haven't seen anybody that I give a shit about in real life, like not on Slack or somewhere for like, you know, a month. Um, and that happens. Yeah. I, noticed, I noticed the same problem just after uh, DEF CON, Black Hat. There were a lot of people who were like, man, I wish I had left my uh, room and gone and seen some people. And uh, it's, it's hard to tell whether that's a result of um, not being invited to go places or if it's just like the environment it just sucks all the energy out of you. Both are totally valid reasons to not go out. But yeah, if, if it's because you're not getting invited places, I think there is something that we can all do about that. Yeah. The worst, the worst part about that is that you, you'll isolate yourself because of that and not go out and people will wonder where you are. And then later when you do the playback and like, you know, your own after action, you just feel worse because it happened again. I missed out again. And it, it, it's this continuous feeding cycle um, that just never gets better. Yeah, bringing out feedback is like a a really important thing to like figure out how to do and like figure like um someone was talking about like what's called thought stopping right and it's just uh it's putting like putting yourself in a mindset that like allows you to like actually stop thinking about like a specific thing. I think with like DefCon and stuff as well, like one Vegas just sucks the life out of anyone that goes there. Like <laughs> hackers or not, like mental health or not, like Vegas will suck the life out of you. Um, but when it comes to like events and parties, like if you think you're not invited, like you, it's not, it's more of a case of like nobody's really invited anywhere. Uh, just go. And yeah, if you feel like that you're not invited, like it's not because anybody specifically didn't invite you. I think it's more of a case of if you're not welcome, someone will let you know. But otherwise, you should go and do everything you can um, and try and just like keep that in mind that just because you didn't get the plus I doesn't mean that you're not invited. And that's, and that's where the introversion aspect comes in, I think. Like, I, I had to battle through that for a number of years, understanding that just because you're not invited somewhere doesn't mean that you can't just show up. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But but, but it's always going to be getting trying to get over that wall of like, oh, then I have to talk to people, and are they going to hate me? And is this going to be just stressful for me? I mean, it's going to be stressful either way if you're going to harp on it internally later. Yeah, I, I think the a, a thing that I've tried to tie back to, to it for myself and for others when I talk to them that are in similar situation to us is. When you think about, say, not being invited places or not doing something like not having that like initial cue that you would normally want to take for a normal, I guess, situation where you're, you know, initiated to invite to do something or take an action. Just think about all the times that you weren't invited to like log into something or weren't invited to scan something or weren't invited to uh, break into something. I mean, those are things that people that are, I guess... I don't know. It, it seems like you have, you're a bit more fearless with when you're online, you know, and it, it's just like a similar tactic can be taken though, where if you say to yourself like, Oh, I can do this and let me explore this sort of aspect of things rather than always being afraid of the consequences. Because sometimes when you take those risks, it's, it's again, easier to do it when you're, 
you know, it's online, but taking those risks is something that is really important that I, you know, I definitely can, can see myself getting kind of like locked into like, Oh, I, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then, you know, I don't do something when it was perfectly fine for me to do so. And I would have done the same thing like in any other situation if it wasn't a social thing. So yeah, I don't know. I try to just tie it back to like computers. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Like, you know, sitting at home taking like massive risks, like, you know, some people, I'm not speaking on anyone's behalf, but there's people who will sit at home and like literally commit crimes and break into stuff. But they're worried about like, you know, the worst outcome of that is you go to jail. The worst outcome of going and seeing some people in real life is kind of like, they don't like you. And like, yeah. like, like, like so crime. what? Maybe you don't like them. Like, yeah. Does it really matter? That's yeah. But when you have like a level head to think about it though, it's definitely not that expensive of like a uh, emotional tax on you. But it's only like, it's only when you have that hindsight to think about it though, you're actually in the moment. You just, mm-hmm. you just get that that rap of the isolation and you're thinking about it. It's the echo chamber in your head. That's it's just such a hard process to break. Yeah. And for those of us with sensory issues, I mean, Vegas in particular is is so overstimulating and like crazy. Mm. Like it, you know, it. There's so many lights. There's so many noises. There's so many people around, and like I think that can create a certain level, like mental stress load. Mm. That isn't necessarily there if you're hanging out by yourself on the computer. Yeah. I, yeah. Just want to just want to put that in there to shout out to the people who are like, who really have a difficult time with that as somebody who does have a difficult time with that. Yeah. That's definitely true. Thank you. Yeah, same here with the auroral and loud environments and lights completely wrecking what little social graces I might have. <laughs> yeah. So tying into this though, the next topic that we had on here, we can return to this too at any time, but the the next thing that we had on here was about prioritization and work-life balance, which is like something that I know a lot of you, including myself in here, have an incredibly hard time with. And this ties into the isolation aspect too, where when you already are feeling isolated and you feel a bit detached from everything and the only thing that you can really do, I guess that would make you feel that sort of like serotonin boost of like, uh, you know, feeling like you're productive or doing something or worth something is to continue to work on projects or work on work things. And the isolation aspect, like, plays into it because we all tend to to isolate ourselves to do something that like you can't really like there's there are situations where you can do things collaboratively but the actual like units of work that you do tend to be alone in that still because you're not going to be like on the same keyboard as somebody typing you know it's not a csi um but with the enhance it it's um it's, it definitely gets really tough though because then once you get into the habit of being isolated and into the habit of not really going out not really making any new friends not really like talking to people in person or going outside um you know then it becomes the only thing that you know how to do is to work on stuff and then that's something that i have struggled with more than like anything is putting down work um because of that and not being able to pull myself away and I don't know if you have any, anybody here has any suggestions on what they've done to try to be able to break that like insane, like laser hyper focus and actually like do like not only healthy things, but just like things that are required of you throughout the day. 
It's how do you remember to one. eat? <laughs> yeah, remembering how to eat, remembering how to drink water, take a shower, go to sleep, like basic stuff sometimes. And it's like, it seems so silly when you talk about it that people are like, just stop. But it's, it's, it's compounded with a bunch of other things. I've tried doing a bullet journal and they just don't take. <laughs> hold on. So much real quiet. quiet. That was Amanda. Sorry. Hold uh, on. Can you hear me any better? Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Project. Uh, yes. I've, I've tried doing like a bullet journal and they just don't seem to help. I don't know how people do it. <laughs> I, yeah, just, I mean, keeping in a routine, I think helps me, but it has to be simple. Otherwise I'll skip it. My, my thing is, um, and this works for a lot. This works for whether I have like technical projects I have to work on or like fucking anything. If I just start something, and it, sometimes it's hard just to start it, but like if I say I'm gonna do this for ten minutes, like fuck it, let me just do it. I hate it. Like this sucks. I'll end up doing it for three hours, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, I will then have turned off whatever the technical shit, the work shit that I have to do. Um, and then once you, so there's a really great book that before, before this whole thing is over that I want to plug cause it really helped me. Uh, it's called the power of habit. Um, I forget the dude that wrote it, but it's on Amazon. It's fantastic. It's worth every penny. Um, and it's, you know, you do that once and then like it sucks a little bit less the second time, third time. And all of a sudden you have this thing like, shit, I have to go do dishes. Uh, and now, Oh, like I got to clean this thing. And all of a sudden, like you're productive, you've gotten things done. And it's not uh, the, the technical shit. And it's, it's building those habits. So if I could only recommend one book to anybody that hears this, it's The Power of Habit. Oh, yeah. You can look at like, uh, like getting things done as well, where like, you know, as part of your task list, do the dishes, put that in there, drink some, like, you know, one thing might be you know, analyze this binary and then also do the dishes. And as you work through it, it's like, all right, prioritization of things I have to do analyze this binary take is going to take me like two hours and do the dishes is going to take me 10 minutes. So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to break role as the usual ray of sunshine in here and be like, I hate GTD as a system for the same reason, actually, that I <laughs> have not fallen in love with bullet journaling because as an ADHD person, I am inclined toward hyper-focus and I will happily hyper-focus all day long on creating a system for myself to not hyper-focus anymore. Yep. And at the end of that day, I will have a system and nothing will have gotten done. <laughs> and like if I don't have enough time to hyper focus in a day, I go funny. There's a balance that's needed there. Yeah. I found what's really helped me when I like have trouble organizing my thoughts. For me, really, I get really scatterbrained and I'll think, oh, I have 10 items I need to do right now, but I know next week I'm going to want to do all this and I know where I want to be in six months. So for me, I get really stressed out just trying to think of all the things that I'm trying to balance and get done because there's so much to do and there's so little time. Like you're only alive and working for so long and you want to do it all. I found for me like an agile system, like I, I use a lot of sticky notes and I've got like a dedicated whiteboard. I put all of my stuff on a grid whiteboard system that helps me keep track of what needs to be done and when I need to prioritize things. I know how it works for me really easily. Uh, but other people, they do prefer things like Trello. Yeah, I so, think as well as like, if you look at the thing, um, the, the amount of, like you're saying, there's a lot of things that need to be done. Like I can guarantee you that like my list of shit to hack is like so backlogged that I will never finish it in my lifetime. 
So, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's the same as my friend's Xbox log. It's like fucking 40 discs, and by the time I get to the halfway through, I'm like, shit, what happened with this machine? Yeah. <laughs> Why so, like, you have to remember that, like, no matter how much you hyper-focus on something, like, the job is never done. There's always more to do. So you can walk away for, like, just a minute. Like, remember to walk away for just a minute because wherever you're at, you're going to come back. And, yeah, you might finish this task, but there's so many more tasks after that it's just an, it's an unimaginable amount. And that will yeah. happen for the rest of your life. Uh, I just dropped a link in chat about that's called the Pomodoro Technique. And it's oh, you set that. a timer. Yeah, yeah, set a timer for you know like thirty minutes, and uh, then at the end of the thirty minutes, you have five minutes. You get up, you walk around, stretch, you maybe like do the dishes, whatever, and then go back and set it again. That, that's been remarkably effective for me. Like I had a good productivity like two or three months doing that. Um, and like there's an app that you can get if you're on Mac or whatever, and I'm sure there's other ones for other systems. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I it's nice that to have that time. built in. Yeah, it's nice to have that built in, right? Like reminder, because like you're not going to remind yourself. Like, obviously, like everyone tends like towards that sort of hyper focus thing, and like it is unfortunate to you know maybe like feel like you don't like, getting in the flow of something or whatever. Uh, but you know, it is important, and also it's the same thing as like how many times if, like at least I know I've been coding something and I've just haven't been able to figure it out. And then I take a break and I come back to it and it's like, it's clear as day, but you just get so like stuck in uh, like one mode of thinking and like trying to look at something one way that, uh, yeah, you get tunnel visioned and that five minutes away might help like break that sort of cycle too. So mm -hmm. not for everyone, but it's, it's something that I would recommend a lot of people try. I get a similar while playing video games, but it also applies well to technical. I just try to like, acknowledge it instead of like bounce my head against the wall for hours i mean that's one of the reasons i actually vape like i used to smoke but like not anymore but this for the same reason was that uh you, you like go outside like i never smoked in the house it's like you go outside to do that like i never smoked when i was at home either it was always at work um yeah it's like walk away and then come back so it's a really I have a reason I have a point to bring up that, that Hermit actually brought up that's really important to this too, is the problem of taking yourself seriously and taking your priorities seriously because we all have the ability to hyper-focus literally forever, but the when you have things to do, like let's say you have a time-sensitive thing that you have to do during the day, like say make a call to a doctor or um, pay a bill or things like that, right? How do you... Um, or how does anybody in here, um, I guess, deal with, with that ability to write something down, know you have to do it, and then also be able to pull yourself away enough to be able to just do it? Because most of the time, the things that people avoid, the things that I avoid, things that you know, a lot of people I know avoid, are things that are really simple. Like I did something that I, I did a couple of things that I had just been in my backlog of that were actually of critical importance. And I did a bunch of them today and it took me five minutes and I was like kind of mad at myself that I hadn't done these things when it took me five minutes to do. Um, it had been in the back of my head like weighing on me, making me feel guilty for not doing them too. So I don't know. I know it's a problem that people have. Um, I don't know if anybody has any suggestions for that. There's an app called Do, D-U-E, um, in on iOS. I don't know if they make it for Android and I cannot vouch for its security in any way whatsoever, but it's a to-do list app that like 
its main feature is that it will bother you forever. Um, so if you hit, you know, no on it or clear or whatever, it will just keep bugging you until you actually clear it. And I found that remarkably helpful, weirdly enough. Just like literally it will keep keeping at me until <laughs> until I get it to leave me alone. So that's something that Hermit and I were talking about the other day was just printing out small pictures of related to things that we need to do and just putting them in front of our computer screens, like or like right on top of them. So we remember like, okay, I have to like pick up my prescriptions or I have to take out the trash today, like a picture of a trash bag, just to like literally like visually remind us because I think one of the hardest things about the prioritization aspect is that everything comes in, in a notification now. So everything comes from the same source, whether it be like a critical like work alert or email or like a stupid spam email or like some app that you forgot about that like suddenly like wants to listen to your microphone. Like everything just comes from the same source, you know, like either on your phone or your desktop notification. But I feel like there's so many of them, but sometimes you just like, if you have an app that's notifying you, you just clear it like every other thing, you know? I was going to make a joke about developing a memento-based, uh, like, mnemonic system where you use Polaroids for short-term memory and tattoos on your arm for long-term tasks. But then the moment passed, and now it's back again. So there you go. You should do that. <laughs> Yo, I'm like that. I write notepads and put them in Ziploc bags and go back to them. And then, like, if I'm able to cross something out, Hype as hell. So um, we should probably expand on the like life balance part of this. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, what about people who have like families and kids? I don't have any kids. Um, so I don't, you know, I can hyper focus for like all night and there's not a baby crying. There's not some kid that needs a lunch or a school or something, you know? We so just people... don't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that is the answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, that's it. We don't sleep, and then when they get big enough, they hyperfocus themselves. Right. Yep. <laughs> you sit there like not speaking all night, hyperfocusing together. No, honestly, I'm not kidding at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, at least for me. So my my son's four by now, uh, and he's getting pretty self sufficient. Like he'll just go fuck off and do whatever he wants. Um, but when he was younger. Yeah, that's a real concern. But at least I know for me, it was kind of like, that was, that was one of my like true Norths, right? Like, so if I don't get my shit together, God knows what I'm gonna like imprint onto him with my shit. So he actually made me try harder uh, to to do that. But yeah, it's you, uh, we talked, we talked a little bit about like, how you prioritize your time and stuff. Um, that is the priority, I know, at least for me. So how do you prioritize prioritizing like the most priority uh, and then shutting off all your other shit while you pay attention to your family and, and spend that time with them because that time goes by like that. So uh, I've started to leave my phone at home on the weekends. Yeah. Which I used to lock, lock mine in the cabinet. Extremely difficult because it used yeah. to be just, I was on it all, not all the time, but like just working 24 seven because I mean... I have flexible hours, so I feel like I should be working all the time. Uh, but yeah, it was like, you know, your kids are only young for so long. I mean, I have three and one's leaving the house next year. So yeah, I needed more time not in front of a screen. What about for people without kids? How often do you guys go and do stuff outside that doesn't involve <laughs> computer? 
You wait, you can do that. <laughs> or, or what do you do too? Yeah. What kind of stuff do you like to do? Like that isn't computer related. That's a that's a good good question. Do you find that having children makes it easier to get distracted in non-computer things? Uh, it I, think, I think it helps me get involved more in non-computer things like sports and school activities and whatever their interests are now are my interests. Sorry. All uh, of them? Jump in. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I don't know. That, it, that's parent talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, not, not, not all their, not, no, not all of them, but I have to at least pretend. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> at least for the younger ones until I realize. <laughs> So I just wanted to babble quick. I have seen people in our chat talk about uh, physical exercise being really helpful for that, like, endorphin yes. rush disconnect, like, pull you the hell out of whatever's consuming you and let you just, like, feel like a human and maybe think outside of, like, your anxiety for a minute. That's second. Yeah, that's for sure. My, it's actually the most helpful. It can be unhealthy to a point when you keep doing it because you can start destroying your body and you start doing that whole atrophy thing. But usually if if I'm feeling like a super anxious day, I'll do like a freaking six mile run. And even during the winter when I can't run outside because it's like negative three, I usually just do like freaking cardio boxing. Just the uh, contact of pretty much the pretty much actually punching something and then also the pain of working out is usually a good way to pretty much get your mind off stuff. Helps with serotonin too. Yeah, for sure. And even if you're not super in shape or fit or something, like there's always some, there's always a, a little bit you can do, right? Like, uh, like oh, I get a, yeah. Walk. Or, uh, if you're, you know, not, not that, you know, it's good to leave your house, but there's also like exercise bikes and that kind of stuff that are, you know, low impact. You don't have to necessarily like leave or go somewhere if it's cold outside, if it's raining or whatnot, like you don't have that built in excuse of, Oh, it's, you know, too hot, too cold, etc. Yeah, uh, that becomes, I know, at least for me, so I, I do, and it's the only time I'll say this uh, out loud on the stream, is I do CrossFit, and I'm not going to bother you guys about it again, because that's the meme. Uh, but, like, that shit, that is chemical, right? That, like, you you, you just can't help but feel a at least a little bit better from it. Um, yeah, she'll be exhausted if you haven't done it for a while or whatever, but, like, even just the least bit of activity is might be like that chemical kick. That's why some of us are on like Zoloft and antidepressants and shit to get that chemical assist. Uh, you can get that from that, man. It doesn't have to be something as intense as CrossFit or fucking whatever, but um, just a little bit of movement will do wonders. Yeah, there's a lot of things like just on the mention of uh, chemical help as well. There's other, there's, you know, vitamins and, and diet and stuff that can help you as well. Um, you know, like uh, 5-HTP, L-tryptophan, and like B12 and stuff like that as well so can also help in the production of serotonin without having to go down the whole uh, straight antidepressant path. But also, if you need to go down the antidepressant path, there's no shame in that, and you shouldn't feel bad about it. Like, there's, I feel like a lot of like, the like, oh, you could take vitamins and get sunshine and, and exercise, but like, if your brain needs it, your brain needs it. Like, don't, don't stress about that. You have enough to stress. I am, I am all for... All of it. <laughs> Love medication. Oh, yeah. Better. I was just pointing out that there's like uh, options. Like, because a lot of people uh, may go to a doctor and get prescribed. Uh, like, there's a lot of different antidepressants on the market, and a lot of them are um, maybe not that great for you. Um, yeah. 
And they all affect everyone differently because doctors don't actually know what's going to work. So they just throw medicine at it to see Oof. what's going to work for you. Do you guys want to hear yeah, a medication yeah. story real quick? Yes. Go for it. Uh, okay. And we're, we're, we're going to hit this later because this is, this is down in the, our, our bullet points or whatever, but about going and finding help, right? And I learned the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist in the shittiest way possible. Uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to go try uh, a psychiatrist first. And so I found it when I was ZocDoc. Um, I ended up going into this building in the fucking sub basement in like these rundown little office things. And behind this desk was, was a woman who never got up, probably didn't call me by my name that I can remember. She did not make eye contact with me the entire time it was uh uh-huh 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 15 minutes and she handed me just a box of stuff and she was like start with one and then start taking two and then i'll call me in a month and i was like oh oh." like i don't know call me crazy with my analyst brain but something seems fucky here um and didn't take the time to fucking even listen to what i was saying she just shoved a box of meds in my face and that was it had I not actually had the wherewithal to go try again, like how many people are fucking being subjected to that? That is awful. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah. you could bet like this, that box of medicine, like that was what she, that person was going to give you regardless. Regardless. Right? Like it didn't matter what you said. Like that was what you were going to get. Like I was getting was the same thing. If I was going to be, yeah, a little sad or I feel like killing a bunch of people here, take these. Yeah. That's something that's definitely difficult when you're somebody who might, do a bit of research before as well um being just mistrustful of the industry i've had a lot of bad experiences with um psych stuff and it's it's definitely disheartening but at the same time too every time that you have a bad experience doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be like that and that you have to keep trying um because there are good people that are in the industry and there are shitty people that are you know it, as well this is every other industry um and it's just something to remember for people who might be mistrustful of doctors or have had bad experiences and have not wanted to go back because I was in that boat for a while. Yeah, I suppose uh, we can probably skip, since we're speaking about it now, let's just stick on that bullet point and we'll come back to the other ones. Um, but like you, you did mention the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist. Right. Um, and I think there is like this this thing with some of the people who work in InfoSec in different areas or work, you know, well, you can't really talk about what you do. Um, and you, it's sort of like, after a while, it's trained into you to not uh, disclose certain things. And then you're in a room with a psych- with a, a psychologist and they're asking you questions. And it's kind of like, if you do share just the little bit that you can or, or whatever, I think I think you're like, you know, is this person actually like crazy? Like, are they crazy, crazy? Like, are they have schizophrenia or something? And they're talking about like all this weird, shady nation state type paranoia. Like, what is, is this real or is this person actually work in this field? And you know, right. I, I don't think a lot of people would ever believe some of the stories that certain infosec people, you know, have think about. Yeah, like, I don't deal with any super crazy shit, but just trying to talk about some of the stuff that bothers me, when I got called Mr. Robot by somebody who I was trying to confess my issues to, it, you just don't want to engage anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's another thing, right, is that, like, parano- like that paranoia and, like, that, adver- like, and the job is 
adversarial, you know, by default, right? And so it's like, uh, spent a lot of the time, like not exactly in healthy thought cycles. Uh, yeah. and so it's like, it's hard to like, someone can't say, oh, well, just don't, you know, don't think about it because like literally like that's, that is your day is spent being that paranoid dude. <laughs> like that is, that is literally <laughs> the job. Is the paranoid. Your job is to wear the tinfoil hat. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're preparing for outside, you know, it's like, sir, have you considered feeling happier? Maybe question mark. But, you know, what What I've been thinking about is it obviously can't just be InfoSec that has these issues. You've got first responders, military, probably even lawyers that are in some really big situations. But how is it that there isn't a professional network that is actually, I, I mean, obviously there's like HIPAA and privacy re, uh, re, regulations that prevent your healthcare practitioners from sharing information you dispose of them, but you'd you'd want more confidence in that, like some kind of extra NDA or something, because you never know what's going to happen. Like, I know I'd feel more comfortable explicitly laying down the rules like that, and you can't say anything, but you'd think there'd be some kind of network that's just used to dealing with those kinds of people that have such intense problems that the sophistication around talking about it is... Well, there is... uh, I mean, the... The poly community and the kink community have, you know, like listings of like, you know, poly friendly professionals or like kink friendly professionals. And like nobody, as far as I know, has made a like similar listing of like infosec friendly professionals. But like somebody could do that if they wanted to. It would be a shit ton of work and I wouldn't want to be the one to do it. But like that could be a thing that people could make. I feel like um, I'm going to have to add that to my long term vision now. <laughs> as far as I'm aware. As far as I'm aware, people who work in certain parts of uh, e-crime, so outside of InfoSec, but still computer-based crime, specifically where they have to review uh, CP cases, um, you know, working for law enforcement and that kind of thing, uh, my understanding is that those people, as part of their job, have mandatory counselling. So after looking at all the horrific evidence that they need to look at, um, there is a you know a period of time that they must take off and then they get evaluated and they they're given that help um, for certain departments but I guess that's that's very that's a little bit outside of the infosec stuff that's very specific to that sort of e-crime um, and maybe that's some you know something that uh, could be adopted in infosec um, I did have an anecdotal thing from someone who wanted to remain anonymous um, where they had uh, they were doing a job for mobile forensics um, for, for car fatalities, I believe. Um, and they were basically reading the people's like, you know, when they're on their phone during a, a car accident, like their last words um, and, and stuff like that. And uh, there was basically no support and they, they just straight quit that job because it's incredibly morbid and, and horrible. Uh, like, you know, DFIR for people who have, who have, like who are current like dying in the moment um and at the end of it they weren't even able to actually ascertain uh the information that they were requested to retrieve either so that's you know there's some pretty pretty fringe you know that's still dfir stuff but that's you know crossing over into some some pretty disgusting places um that nobody really wants to see but i guess someone has to do the job right it's rather unfortunate that it could just get dumped on one person like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that, that, that's, I feel like that's somewhere that uh, you would need quite the amount of support to continue 
Yeah, Similarly, uh, apparently YouTube moderators, like there's, or it's not just YouTube, but also Google and search engines, they've got entire teams of people who are exposed to all of the content that gets reported as abuse or whatever. And they just have to look at some of the most vile, gory, abusive shit, whether it's people being killed or animals being tortured or child abuse, whatever it is. These people just get seen all of this shit and they have to click good or bad. And it just fucks with them, just having to consider, like, is this good or bad? Yeah, I think, obviously, yeah I like, obviously it's bad, but, you know, you, when you're considering it that much, you sort of go crazy a bit. Yeah, I don't think humans are meant to see any of, if, you know, great amounts of that kind of material at all. Like, there's, I don't think anyone's going to come out of that situation unscathed. I mean, I know the little amounts of it that I've seen have left me traumatized. I couldn't imagine if my job was seen it every fucking minute. Yeah, no one, no one is immune to that. You can be conditioned for it, you can train for it, but it will bite you in the ass one of these days. It happened to me, so <laughs> you're you're not invincible. So, uh, well, not so cool. speaking from experience, just just wanted to put this little thing out there. Is this coming from a military background and also merchant response? A lot of those uh, things that we were talking about are actually having people who actually understand what your backgrounds are, and actually working to actually create like ways for you to cope with what's going on. A lot of those are actually um, they're they're not therapists; they're actually just counselors. So. People like in my agency where I work, pretty much we have a group of volunteers. So if there's like a critical incident where someone dies or anything like that, it's uh, kind of like you'll get a bunch of people who are just coming in who are trained counselors to who pretty much do the, your job that you do, but they will actually just kind of help you pretty much actually cope with what the fuck just happened. And I think that's probably a little more important than actually finding therapies because like we said before, we don't trust therapists, but Give grain of salt. I would trust a hacker before I trust a therapist again. So at least be a little easier to talk to. Yeah. And that's something that, that I want to call out. Um, you know, speaking of, of like, you know, having it seem like infosec or hackers have a, have a higher preponderance of this. Um, it's just that like we start where we live, right? Like we start talking amongst ourselves because we are who we trust. We wouldn't fucking trust civilians. Like we trust each other which is why Amanda why I desperately want to make sure that that shout out gets for the, your, your initiative. Wait, of, what? Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sing your praises. God damn it. Sorry. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Mental health hackers. Tell us about it. Oh yeah. So we're coming up on our first year anniversary uh, of just kind of just doing this, you know, just talking and doing uh, peer support. Uh, at conferences and in general, but now we have like this big giant vision because we're talking to big sponsors and stuff. Right. So, so. consolidating all of this, which I think is awesome, but yeah, yeah if, if you're going to talk to somebody, it's going to be other hackers. So like, why not all get together and do it? Yeah. You're, you're covered under your friend DAs when you're talking to friends about it anyways. Uh, you know, we've gotten some shit from people that think, oh, well, you know, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not a psychiatrist or whatever, so I shouldn't be talking to people about their issues. But, I mean, this helps us when you're talking to people that know your background and they know what you have to deal with and they know they are going through the same shit you're going through. Uh, and it's really nice to be able to talk to people that kind of know what's going on, whether they're a professional or not. 
That, uh, that was also something that was really fundamental in the creation of 12-step programs is there wasn't really anything before that. And doctors and people had no idea what to do. And then, and then in the creation of the first 12-step program, people found that they got the best help from other people who were in the same situation. It's like AA meetings. Yep. Yep. Um, so the, <laughs> we only have uh, about 15 minutes left. Do you want to continue talking about uh, healthy coping skills and getting help and stuff like that? Or do you want to talk about the other thing we didn't talk about, which was imposter syndrome and like self-confidence and things like that? I would what love to talk about that. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's something that like we, we people talk about a lot. And it's something that's very difficult to address in a way that seems productive because with a lot of the issues that people have as far as like confidence, I mean, those are things that are additional issues that are outside of infosec or, or hacking or skills that you might have. And I think that like sometimes things get confused and people misinterpret the way that either they might need extra support or other people might misinterpret the way that they think that they can help. And so it's it's a really like murky, murky thing. Because sometimes people are like, oh, I, I, you know, I feel like I have imposter syndrome, I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes those people just might want to use that as a way to sort of gain opportunities. But then other people have legitimate issues where they can't really see the good things they do. And it's like a, it's a, a hard line to kind of like, gauge and to self-assess with and yeah I don't know what everybody here thinks about that I think uh, like I want to smash something really quickly uh, and be a bit of a jerk for a minute a lot of people that I've seen like a lot of a lot of lesser skilled hackers uh, that do have confidence issues sometimes blame the imposter syndrome they're like oh I have imposter syndrome but Want, like just point out that some people are just imposters um like it sounds like an asshole thing it is an asshole thing to say probably but there are like not everybody if your ego is bigger than your skill set maybe you need to check yourself but if you're doing that self-evaluation which can be really really hard to do and you find that hey maybe i do know a few things then yeah that's that's where you lie in that realm i guess of actual imposter syndrome um, yeah. there's that, a difference between having imposter syndrome and being new or even being an imposter and being new. Like, you know, if you don't know all the things yet, like that's okay. Like it doesn't oh, mean yeah. that you're not real. It just means you're learning and like, that's all right. Definitely, definitely mean, but um, I just mean people who are like, you know, maybe they got busted for carding and then they're like talking up how much of a good hacker they are. And it's like, bro, you, you're not, you, you did something really easy. Yeah. yeah. I remember somebody said once, uh, you can't have imposter syndrome if you weren't anybody in the first place. And that really made me think about all of what I've been considering my own imposter syndrome. Like, huh, am I maybe just really new? Yeah, being new is fun. Learning is good. Yeah. Learning is great. I mean, but you totally can have imposter syndrome if you've never been anyone in the first place. I feel like a lot of underrepresented people who are trying to break in have a lot of imposter syndrome, like self-confidence issues, because people have just always told them that they are not going to ever be good enough. Yeah. And like, 
I, that's real. You know, you can have that even if you don't have skills yet. And that can actually make it harder for some people to try to build skills and break in because they're struggling with that, just even trying to get into the gate, much less out of the gate. I love that also, this is, like, is going to sound really um, kind of, I guess, passe or like uh, something that people say all the time. But I, I've found it easiest to deal with imposter syndrome lately by just kind of imagining that I'm playing a game against myself, like acknowledging that I'm, I'm always going to be learning something. People may look at me as an expert in any given topic that I've talked about, but that doesn't, I mean, if, if I consider myself an expert, then I don't consider myself uh, a student anymore. So I, I kind of insulate myself from what other people think and just do my own thing. And that's a lot easier said than done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when do you finish learning? Like, never. Like, on any <laughs> topic. never. Yeah. For me, having, like, a, um, I think, like, developing a decent idea of my own skill set has helped with imposter syndrome. And also just, like, knowing that, like, A, there are things that I do know, B, there are a whole lot of things I don't know. C, you know, the things that I do know I'm always learning more on. But just like a, an idea of like what, what I do have, what I don't have, and like what I can get better at and what I'm okay at. Like having a realistic idea of that about yourself, I think has helped, been helpful for me a lot. Yeah. So like, Yeah, that, that's super hard. And I think that, that that is one of the things that I've struggled with because I switched careers to be in tech. And so one, one thing that I still struggle with, I still struggle with this to this day, is that I, I don't always trust that I have, like, the answers to something. Even if I do, I always think that I'm like, oh, I have to, like, defer this to somebody who's, like, more senior or something. Even though there are people who are in the senior roles in their, in their, in their security uh, you know, companies that listen to the show here that I contribute to, you know? And it's hard sometimes to be like, oh, like, you know, I might actually know a thing or two. And that's just a thing that is a part of my personality, I guess, or something. I don't know. But it's, it's, uh, that's something that I, I struggle with. And I know that there's people that, that struggle with that in other roles and they, people who are way more senior too, um, of just being able to trust that you might have the skill and you might have the best opinion about something for the task at hand. And that's just, or a, even a good enough opinion. Yeah. I feel like uh, people always talk about like social media and like how everyone's just presenting like their best selves and how like that causes increases in like depression and anxiety. And I feel like that on Twitter, right? When you're seeing everyone do all their cool stuff in all these different like you know, pieces of parts of security that you have like no idea about, I feel like it's really easy to get uh, down on yourself for not knowing like this and that but there's just so many different you know pockets and corners and rabbit holes you can go down in security that it's uh like I mean, everyone else is doing cool shit right but to like, build on that too it's uh, really it's hard to build yourself up and uh like a lot of people they can't talk about the work they do and they can't talk about the stuff that they do and you see other people on twitter that are posting all this amazing work and it's just this it's really hard to watch other people be able to talk about the things they do and you can't really talk about the things that you do and it makes you feel kind of out of it you know so like, there's sorry go ahead hey, second I just want to say real quick your microphone's a little loud i was just gonna say really quick like how many people tweet their fuck-ups the people i, do. Who I fuck up all the time i love <laughs> those. those i do it all the time yeah i do yeah, fuck up too. and then it's the show <laughs> so my my uh actually uh pico raise your hand go ahead man 
Oh, word. Um, I was just thinking on, like, um, especially the last few juggles and scope of, like, how your expectation level shouldn't and ideally isn't relative to how other people perceive your skills or your knowledge. Like, you're totally waxing on some complex thing or down-the-line thing, but you think that everybody expects you to have all that knowledge, and especially immediately and like to divide those two expectation tiers. There was, there was something that occurred to me and actually Ian, I'm, I'm happy you're on because you were part of why this came to my mind. Um, I was, I was sitting there thinking one day, like, I, I mean, we, I always had imposter syndrome, especially like coming, I didn't grow up a hacker, right? I didn't fucking get into this until like I was in my third, like, late twenties, early thirties. Um, so that, that played a part too. the adult experience of like overthinking things. Um, but then I met Ian at DEF CON one year. Uh, and then I kind of started looking around and she was awesome. Gives the best hugs. Uh, and I started looking around at all of these people that like called me their friend, right? People that choose to surround themselves with me or ask me to go do things or, or like asks me like, asks my opinion on things. So the, 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 the mantra that's really helped me and turned me around was like all of these smart people, like, like Ian, like Amanda, like everybody in thug crowd, right? Like, uh, even if I, if I haven't met you yet, um, they, they choose to want to have me around. Right. And if I respect them that much and I value their opinion, I'm almost disrespecting them thinking less of myself. Like who the fuck am I to disrespect them? Right now, that's a little bit of a hard line, but it works for me, right? So I I show my respect to the people who who choose to be around me by not devaluing myself, and that leaps and bounds has helped me. So maybe that little thing will help somebody else. Every time I met you, you've been a true gentleman, sir. <laughs> and if you wouldn't talk about your like a friend in the way that you talk about yourself, or if you wouldn't hear it about like from somebody else, if they're talking about a friend in the way that you talk about yourself, maybe don't talk about yourself that way, like be your own friend. Exactly. Um, One other thing I wanted to say about social media too, before I forgot is like, you see everybody doing their cool thing, but they're also doing one thing and it isn't necessarily the same thing you're doing. And that doesn't mean that that person knows everything. And it doesn't mean that you know nothing. Like you only see like little bits of people on there and you know, you get to see everybody else's highlight reel and your own blooper reel. And like, don't think of that as like being everything or reflecting on you or your own life. But this totally reminds me of uh, some people I went to school, uh, a, a person I went to school with, high school with. And, uh, you know, their, their Instagram is like holidays in like exotic places and uh, a new car and like an expensive watch. And then, but in real life, like when, like when you evaluate what that person does for a job, there's like no way they have that much money. Like they're in debt for that car and that watch and those holidays. Um, I just find it funny, you know, because when, like, if you didn't know what they did, like you, you weren't aware, like that looks like a great life, but they're working really, <laughs> they're going to be working overtime for a long time before that's paid off. Like, I don't know. Yeah, all people just flex, and it's it's hard to you know everything comes in the same form. As I was saying with notifications, like when you're looking at Twitter, you're looking at any social media, even like like any websites, like news websites, anything, like you're only seeing like the best of the best things. And 
algorithms are curated to make you want to look at it more and more. Like they want apps and websites make you want to feel like you can gain something like that from staring at your screen more. And it's just like, I don't know, it's it's hard. Like I, I used to definitely feel bad about like not doing as much stuff as I wanted to do. And then I ended up like not really even sharing things because I never felt like it was cool enough to share, you know? And that's what led me to literally having a backlog of stuff that I think is cool, but I never share with anybody. Like I have, I have like write-ups on like cool stuff that I did like years ago, but I'm still like, oh, I should put this one out. Oh, I should maybe like revisit this. And it's like those kind of things. Like I, I dealt with that and people I know have, have told me similar things where they just haven't thought that what they've done was cool enough to, to share. Like that write-up they might've done. They're like, oh, there's been a million of these. Like, it's like, okay, if you do it, you still put the time and energy into it and you should share it, you know? Every and just because it, it doesn't feel new to you doesn't mean it's not going to be new to somebody. Yeah, there's been plenty, like the bug bounty uh, crowd and um, the bug bounty sort of scene has been, you know, for a lot of people who have been around InfoSec and doing pen testing and other stuff for a while, you see like a write-up on like, a pretty mundane like, XSS or maybe an RCE or something. And you're kind of like, yeah, that makes totally sense. I don't understand why they wrote a blog about it. But then you have a look at that scene that's sort of a, it's, it's a very young scene um, for the most part. And people are just like, oh, I now know how to do this, you know, RCE and whatever. Like, it's all about, you know, like you may not be the intended audience, but somebody's the intended audience. You know, somebody's the audience that's going to find it. Um, I mean, to be fair, you're actually putting quality content out there. You're not just taking someone else's project and going like, ooh, we put it on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. I suppose it's a lot in the, in the hardware scene. Like, oh, I made a Raspberry Pi. It's like, it's like we took someone else's project from this GitHub rep repository and we put it on a Raspberry Pi. I'm like, cool. You too can build an MZ catcher using a RTL SDR and a Raspberry Pi now. Yeah. But, but did you put it on Kubernetes on a Raspberry Pi? Oh, <laughs> better get on that. Next level. Can they post tomorrow? No, I think it is uh, like having because everyone does so much research, right? Like, there's no one in, in here, you know, very few people like in the industry who are here because they don't fucking like work their ass off and study and you know all this kind of stuff. And so it's I find myself uh, like falling into this kind of like trap. It's like, oh, someone's already like researched that, or like, yeah, no one can, like, no one's gonna read that because everyone already knows. But you have to just put it out there sometimes. Yeah, That's I mean, uh, like the prophet writing about uh, SS7 in 2600 in like what, like 92 or something, like something like a long time ago. And there's still articles that come out about SS7 that come around every now and again. And people who read them are just like, damn, I didn't know about like how terrible SS7 is. It's like, it's been around, but that's okay. Now, now, you know, like, yeah. I mean, yeah. people learn about buffer overflows like every day. Yup. Yup. The holes are laughing. Yup. People uh, write buffer overflows into their firmware every day. Every um, day. Also <laughs> true. Um, I something on Twitter about how you shouldn't feel bad if you're just learning something new that other people already know. Because on average, about 10,000 other people across the world are learning the same thing at the same time or whatever. 
It's a good point. So, yeah. You're not alone. Yeah. Um, yo, so it's actually, it's 1130. It's a rough time to end the show here. Um, but I definitely wanted to, to thank everybody for coming on and, and being real honest about all this stuff. Cause this is like, it's not easy to talk about. It's not something that everybody wants to talk about all the time, but it's definitely very important. Um, we went over a lot of really cool stuff, um, shared a lot of stories and advice. And, um, I definitely want to try to do another mental health show as well as I already started, a um a small little like resource thing to just pull together some of the things that i've found and some of the stuff others have shared with me so um people do have any sort of like resources to apps or write-ups or anything at all that would be relevant to what we've talked about here tonight um you can just dm them to at thug crowd um or at net spooky on twitter and um i can put them into it because i just want to have a, a a running list maybe we can even have a git repo to really make it <laughs> really make it uh over engineered um to just have something for people to actually uh to pull from when they're when they need to to get help and and or or not even just get help in the grand sense but just try to get little resources to maybe help them um navigate their lives better um so while we you know and the show. Does anybody have anything uh, else that they wanted to share before we get going? Uh, don't fall in the trap that I did and go into coping mechanisms like substance abuse to cope with your feelings. That's a really horrible way to go about it. Yeah. Okay. I can also not, don't do drugs. I mean, I can tell you right now, I'm a fucking, I'm an alcoholic. I, yeah, I came to that realization this last winter, but that's a reality for me. And uh, it's as an as analysts, we're all analysts. What do you think happens when you try to take antidepressants to cure the shit, or at least help with it, and then take more depressants? That just doesn't fucking make sense. So maybe that. <laughs> Up is down is all around is. Um, <laughs> I think if, if you if you do try one of the, like one of the things we've talked about, if you do try uh, seeking a therapist or a psychologist, psychiatrist, a friend. Um, uh, Amanda's project and whatever that is doesn't work for you first go try something else and maybe try the same thing again um, because not all problems are solved the first go that's true that's one of the things that I, I written down for myself as think about all the times your program didn't work the first time or think about all the times like you've tried to even if you're trying to like do like a pen test and your exploit didn't work the first time Think about all the times that like you've screwed up on something and you've just sat there and made it work. Those same skills and that same sort of like, like just creative problem solving that gets you through every other aspect of your life can be applied to this similarly. That's something I'm still trying to, to, to live and learn, but it's definitely a way to put it where people like us can understand it. Yeah, documenting your wins, right? So I don't know if this is weird, but for me when I was like, feeling like garbage and don't know anything something that uh, helped me or that past me did that helped me was like documenting all my wins on my resume and then like rediscovering that you know while i was feeling down and thinking like oh okay like whoever this guy is he actually knows one thing at least yeah <laughs> also true. you guys want to give yourself sir any of your projects a quick shout out I have one thing that's not my project, but um, that I think everyone should take. It's called Mental Health First Aid, and it's fantastic. 
that started in Australia a couple of years ago. And I took the, it's like an eight hour class that most of the time is free. Um, and they're everywhere. And it basically is just first aid for yourself and others, but mental health related. Hell yeah. Uh, I have one thing I want to share, which is that if you're underrepresented, a lot of the advice that gets given, particularly about like imposter syndrome or like the things that you deal with coming up are not necessarily going to uh, be reflective of your experience. And I want to see that and validate that. And your experiences are real. They are true. And so are you. And like, know that and feel that and hold on to it. Just on a final note, I guess, uh, if you are considering suicide or harming yourself, talk to somebody. Please don't do it. Yeah, that. Ideally, an IRL friend and not the police ever. Yeah, don't don't talk to cops about that. Talk yeah. to a doctor first. Yes. Don't call cops on people who are distressed either. That's yes. not going to work, oh especially in America. In my country, it might work. Don't do it in America. That's... Shit. I have actually had to do both of those in real life. It's a fucking mixed bag, but yeah, cops don't normally help. That's why EMTs are always nice, because they're not cops, but unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. Yo, don't talk to cops, period. <laughs> the Ten Hack Commandments still do apply, but you can bend the rules a little bit if it's going to make you better. Also, uh, shout out to uh, Morv uh, CX. That dude who stole the M577 last year, who was a uh, Thug Crowd uh, fan, he won his insanity plea, so he does not get jail time. Hell yeah. Oh, that's a winner. <laughs> yeah, I had that guy blocked because he was a dick. Sorry. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> he's insane, so can you really hold it against him? I don't know him either, but you know what? He's a train wreck in my book, and those are always fun to watch. Hey, no judgments. Monk dad beat your own life. Yeah, I can't argue with that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for, for listening. Um, if you have any other questions, obviously you can tweet them at us. Um, we have a lot of awesome people on the show. Um, give them a follow. I don't know how you want to self promote. Maybe just tag yourself or something. Um, people are interested in speaking any further with people who are on tonight. Um, and then the last thing uh, we have. Next week, we have uh, Halvar Flake going to be on, big spooky computer man. And we're going to talk about probably some really esoteric stuff. So it's nice. fun. Um, so, yeah, if anybody, again, if you have any resources, any links, any things you want to share for us to put in our little uh, resource guide, um, please just DM them to us and we'll get them out there. So, I guess until next week, uh, thanks. Shut the fuck up and get a lawyer. Shut the fuck up and get a lawyer. Trust your inner criminal. <laughs> Gay to crimes. Eat fast. Don't talk be about this. Be good to yourself. <laughs> this is the best closing of any podcast ever. Be good to yourself, be gay, and do crimes. <laughs> Commit at least one felony per day. All of the above. Lead by example. That too. That's probably the most important. Yeah. The wholesome advice there at the end. <laughs> Knowing is half a all right, good night. Good night. Night, everybody. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Night, Paul. Later.